We are learning Dafnem Dalit. We're starting right from the top of the Amud, second line down, the two dots, it says Tadrabanan. So we discussed that the halakha, the Chazal made a penalty, a kanas, that if somebody sells the slave to a guy, then automatically he goes free. Even though the guy was only calling the Maisu Dime, the Jew should technically still be the owner. No, we make a kanas, he goes free, because it's going to be hard for him to keep mitzvahs while he's under the ownership of a guy. Same thing if you sell him outside of Israel, he's supposed to be in Israel. So therefore, the Chazal made a kanas. So then the question was, what if you make him collateral? And what, what, what's the halachas? We came out yesterday, as soon as the guy has rights to take him already, then the kanas sets in. So now we get more into this stuff today. Let's say the guy collected him as a payment for some debt. So it wasn't necessarily a case of collateral specifically, but it was, you know, the Jew had a, a debt, he didn't pay back, and therefore there was a forcible collection, and the thing that was collected happened to be the slave. Oh, a secret cone took it. The secret cone, there was the times when, uh, there were times when, you know, Jewish blood was very cheap, like Mara says, in Gittin. And, and the guy would come and basically they would be looking to kill Jews. And sometimes the Jews could get out of it by saying, all right, just take my land, you know, like that kind of thing. So if a secret cone took it, the Jew tried to save himself. In these cases, so the slave doesn't go free. Why? Because in these two cases, that's not consent from the Jew for the slave to be removed from him. In, other words, in the previous cases that we learned, the Jew offers up the slave, either for sale or as collateral or something like that. So therefore we penalize him. Remember, this is a penalty. Whereas in a scenario here where it's forcibly collected from him against his will, so even though it was taken and it's similar to, it, to, the, to the reason for the kanas, but Chazal didn't make it. Says the moral of is it really true if it's collected as dead, then it doesn't go free, the slave doesn't go free. Or many, we have a steer from Brisa. The Brisa is talking about when the, the, there's a tax collector that just starts coming around and indiscriminately, you know, just taking, taking Jewish, Jewish crops. They're just forcibly taking the, the Jews' stuff from the granary. So what's the halacha? In Bechovo, if it was collected in debt to the king, meaning he really owed the king money, then he's obligated to separate miser on account of the produce that's in the granary. Meaning, here it is, it was taken from you, and you, Taka, owed money to the king, so you're paying back your debt with, with this stuff. So you have to separate extra stuff that remains by you uh, to potter the miser from the stuff that was taken. But in Ban Paro's potter miser, who's just taking loss upon the Jews, just take whatever we can take, so then he's not obligated to separate miser from it. So what do we see from here? We see if something is taken forcibly as payment, uh, then we say as follows. It depends. If there was taka is payment, meaning there's debt, it's viewed like it's being sold. That's why you have to take off miser, presumably. What's the try you have to take off miser? Because you used it. It was yours and you used it. You gave it. So therefore you have to take off miser from it. Whereas if it's forcibly taken without debt, then you don't have to. So just as in the case of miser, I see if you actually owed the money and it's taken, it's tantamount to selling. So too by the slave, if you actually owed him money and then he collected it. So let it be a forcible collection, but it should be tantamount to selling. So the more answer is no. Shani Yasim is different in the granary. Why? To come a he profited in the sense that now he doesn't have to take off miser that otherwise he would have had to. What's the point that we're saying? That if it hadn't been seized, so how much would the Jew have kept? He would have only kept 90% of it minus the 10% that it would have been with the miser. So what happened is that through it being confiscated, he's actually gaining the amount that would have been miser. Had he had to take it in miser, he would have taken off 10%. He would have been left with only 90%, and then he would have used it for whatever he would have used it for, maybe one of the things for paying the debt. So therefore now, you benefited from the miser, and you have to repay that amount of miser. Fascinating concept here in the Gemara. Mishtarshi means if you benefit from something, you owe towards that cause. So if you benefit from the 10% of miser, you benefit from it. So it's not the pshat, like the Gemara thought in the Havamina, that since you owed him money, since you owed him money, 
therefore is considered like a sale when it's collected. That's not the VAR. Really, it's Maiser forcible collection. It's not like that. But the VAR is since you benefited from the 10% of the Maiser that, 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 that was taken because otherwise you would have had to take off Maiser before. So therefore you end up owing a, a like a Hanot, like what the Maiser benefited you. So you owe it back to the Maiser. That's why you, that's why you have to go now go designate more Maiser instead of it. But in our case, Stama, we want to know if the evidence is collected, is it considered like it was sold? It is not. Anything that's forcibly collected is not considered like a transaction was made. Says the Gemara Tashima, we have another proof. The Amar Rav. Rav said, Avdo, the So what exactly is the Farhang? He's some sort of blackmail guy. Where he just like, you know, he's he, to protect the information that he has against you, you have to he has price and you have to give him stuff. So a person gave his slave to this blackmailer, he goes free. So what's going on? So Lachaira, over here, you didn't, you didn't uh, consent to this, right? This is pretty forcible. Blackmail is pretty, pretty much forcible. And that's, he set the price, give me your slave. He gives him the slave. And now we're saying he does go free, that we do penalize him. So why is that different than a collection of a chov? In the case of the blackmail, you could have appeased him with other stuff. You didn't appease him with other stuff. You gave the slave. So therefore, the transfer is considered a voluntary one. Why are you giving the slave? Masha Inkin, in our cases, it sounds like it was more forcible that there was a collection. It happened to be that it came from the slip. Says the Gufa, we go back to what Rav said about Mokar, Atzma, the Farhang, the Ovik, Ochavim, Metzalachera. Says the Gemara, Maivel, Mevel, why are we penalizing him? And the Gemara explains what we just said, Havilah, Fais, Velo, Pies, and therefore it's considered a voluntary giving up of the slave, and that's why he goes free. All right, now, now we get into some very technical questions which bring out the essence of what the Kanas is all about. The Kanas, you sold it to a guy, it's going to be hard for the Eva to keep mitzvahs. So it says, What if you only sold for 30 days? Right? Rabbi and Shas always ask the interesting questions. They are very detailed. They bring out the essence of a Zach. So here he brings out the point. If you only sold it for 30 days, do you have to free the slave? Right? For 30 days, it'll be hard. Is that included in the Kanas or not? So So presumably, blackmail, you give him the slave, it's not forever. It's going to be returned at a certain date. And we still see that even temporarily, uh, we make the Kanas. It says, It's, it's, it's never coming back to him. continues, What if you sell the slave without a right to the work? So what kind of slave would you want if he doesn't work for you? The answer is the slave that makes more slaves for you. Right? Right. There's a case of the slave like that, where I just buy it with the rights that it could, could, would have relations with the slave woman, and then I would own the children. There's such a power of ownership. It's an asset, but I don't own it for its work. So if I don't own it for work, maybe you don't have the problem, because it's only the working is going to violate the Shabbos and all these other halachas and restrictions. But here he's not owned for the working. Maybe it's not a problem. Or if I, say, if I, if I stipulated specifically with the guy, I said, I'm selling him except for anything that would make him being violating the mitzvah. Anything like that, you have no right to work him. What's the halacha? Let's say I sold him except for the right to work on Shabbos and Yontif. What's the halacha? Like Eretoshu Yisrael Mumramau. Or let's say I sell him not to a guy, but a regular guy, but a Gertoshu. A Gertoshu is someone, he's a guy, but he's formally accepted a commitment to the mitzvahs. Right, of the, the Shevmitz is many So with the formal declaration, it's like he's more respectful. Like he's a good sort of citizen for us to have in an autonomous state of Israel without separation of church and state. So the Gertoshev, in this scenario, he's good, but he's not, you know, he's like a good guy. Or Yisrael Momar, it's the opposite. Here you have an apostate who happens to be Jewish. What is that law if you sold it to him? Or Lakusi. Kusi is always unclear where he stands religiously. So the Gemara says, show me a chadah, let's resolve at least one of these questions. It says in the price, is treated like a regular guy that uh, now he's obligated to free him. 
Says the Gemara, Kusi Yisrael Momar, regarding the Kusi and the Momar, some say selling a slave to such people is tantamount to selling to a guy, and there is a Kanas. Other people say, no, it's like selling a slave to a Jew, and there's no Kanas. All right, here we go. Um, now the Gemara has a Shiloh. Now, we, obviously, the Mishnah implies that it's usher to sell a guy, right? We would do it clearly if it's to sell a slave to a guy. Clearly, if we're making a Kanas, it's something else which shouldn't be done. It says the Gemara, could it be mutter in certain scenario? says a slave gives himself up willingly to abandons bandits who are Gaim. Right? So the slave removes himself from the jurisdiction. He's still owned by the Israel, but he throws himself at Gaish bandits. The master is unable to remove him. Jewish law is not helping here because they don't care. Evidently, Jewish law is not strong enough. It's not working out by taking him into the court. In secular, secular courts, it's not working. There's somehow nothing is being effective. The only thing that is effective is going directly to the bandits and taking money. Can you take money for the slave from the bandits? In other words, that's the one thing. They're not going to refuse the slave, but they're willing to compensate. So the question is, is if he accepts money, he has no chance. He's tried to get him back with Jewish courts, non-Jewish courts. His question is, now can I accept money from the bandits since anyways I can't get him back? Or on the other hand, you're selling. Right? That's basically tantamount to selling, which is what we're saying you shouldn't do. So this is an exception really to the law because you're not, you, it's not like a sale. He's not coming back to you anyway, so you're just trying to get recover some of your loss. So the Gemara says, I'm like, the Rika, Puk, go out. I'm go look at all the text, see if you're going to bring a proof. went out. He analyzed and he found. The Tanya says in the someone sold his house in Eretz to a guy. Chazal made a kanas that the money that you get for it is Asr. Why? Because there's an Isr. The Gemara Avodah says you can't sell real estate in Eretz to guy. So here we understand that the Rabbanon took this Isr and they went very far with it. If someone did sell real estate to the guy, someone sold the house to the guy in Israel, so the money that's received in place of the house is usher, you can't benefit from it. But what happens if a guy just took the Jew's house forcibly? The owner, the Jew, is unable to remove it from the possession of the guy. Jewish law is not helping. Secular law is not helping. What could he do? As long as the guy is willing to compensate, he can take the money from the guy for the house. And then you could write a deed of sale for the guy and bring it out in secular law. Why in the world could you do that? Meaning normally the law is you're not allowed to go to our courts. You're not allowed to go to secular courts. Why could you do that? They should come out to me, You're just rescuing money from their hands. Meaning the point here is that the guy will not give its value to the Jew unless he gets a deed that's certified, right? With the city, the city, the town, in the town with the official deed and stamp and the clerk and Bakhule, he's not going to do it. He made money. So here it's not like I'm selling it. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm not even going to our coast to try a case. The shot is I'm rescuing my money. If there's no other way of getting my money, you big you say here. Nothing else is effective. Jewish courts, nothing else will work. The only thing I can do is take money from the guy, but he's holding it up until he gets a proper a deed. Then I'm able to use secular court to do such a thing. So Al Kapadam, what do we see? That accepting money is not the same as selling. You're not allowed to sell the real estate, but if the guy took the real estate and now he's willing to compensate me, I'm allowed to take it. So we assume the same thing should be true with the slave. Says the Gemara, you can't compare them. Bidoma Hani Bai Bai says only for a house. Kivin Dosagul Abai, a person can't live without a house, right? You need a place to live. Well, let's see this he's not going to come to sell it intentionally. Meaning, if I, if I permit a Jew to, to recover the value of the seized house, that's not going to lead to another violation, right? And Rashi also emphasizes it in general, people don't sell their homes. That's the point. You're not going to say like, oh, if I took money for a home that was, it was, it was seized forcibly against me, then I might come tomorrow to sell another home to a guy. Like, it's not like that. It's a, one doesn't work to the other. In the case of a slave, when his own market is flipping so easily, people can go without a slave. We should be concerned it's going to lead 
people to sell the slaves. Or to, in other words, intentionally, someone might go ahead tomorrow and sell to a slave if we allow him to um, receive money from the guy for the slave that was taken against as well. I like, or maybe not. Maybe there's no concern and we are a make So therefore, we don't, we're not sure what the laws with the slave. Shachar of Ami, Ravami ruled, from me, Ami Barnasan, Tariyos, the Chayisrael. For me, this this teaching, the Torah should go out to all Chayisrael. This case, the slave gave himself up to badness. The Jew is unable to rescue him in Jewish law. He's allowed to take the money from the bandits. He could write a deed for the slave in secular law. And the, the, the justification is, He's just rescuing money. He's not selling. Says the Gemara, we know so far that it's also to sell. We also learned that, that, that the halacha is that if the, the Jew run, that, that if the guy runs, if the slave runs away from the guy, that the master has to free him. We learned that so far. But now we take the knas to the next level. Halacha is someone who sold a slave to a guy, we penalize him. He has to go buy the slave back, even for one hundred times the slave's value. Meaning, it's not just that he has to free him if the slave goes free and he can't use him as a slave. We also penalize him to go get the slave back one hundred times, even the value of the slave. Meaning, even if the guy is not willing to sell so easily, you have to go do pay that amount. Says the Gemara, is that precise or imprecise? It really is exaggerated. And what would it be? Is that really only, a, he meant only that the master has to pay even more than the slave's value. But he didn't necessarily mean to the extent of 100 times. It means even if it's an exagger, even if it's an inflated price, he has to pay. 100 times not. Where would we draw the line then? So we'll see a little bit in the Gemara coming up. But I'm trying to figure out if it's exaggerated to say 100 times. So the Gemara says, Tashma, Adam we learn about a different answer. You're not allowed to sell livestock to Goyim. Why? Whole thing it might come to work on Shabbos. Whole scenario where you sell it right before Shabbos, and then the guy might want to test drive, and it's, you're gonna you're gonna tell it to move, and it moves based upon your voice on Shabbos, carrying things. Kids, so there's an isra to sell animals to guy. So what happens? Someone who does sell a large animal to a guy, so we penalize him at asar until ten times the value. So what do we see? That over there it's only ten times. So it, it, presumably we, we're going to apply that over here. We assume that it's all the same legal sale of slaves, illegal sale of animals. We're able to compare them. So we say that Rabbi Shulman Levi's statement that it has to be 100 times must be an exaggeration because here it says only 10 times. It says the Gemara, no, that's not what it proved. Dilma Shani Evid, it could be that selling a slave is worse. Each and every day, the slave can't fulfill the mitzvahs. So it's possible that then Chazal penalized the owner even for 100 times the slave's value. Whereas in the case of the large animal, there maybe the penalty is only up to 10 times the value. So it's not a proof that our case of Yeshua Levi was exaggerated. Says the Gemara, a different version. Vi Amri. This is going to be a different version of the way that we the discussion went. Amri Shulman Levi. Someone who sold the slave to the Kaikon. The penalty is he buys back the slave for ten times the slave's value. So here we start not with hundred but with ten. Says Gemara, Davka love Davka. Is it only ten? Precise, only ten, or maybe it's imprecise, and really you have to pay more than ten times. So this is Mamash opposite. Originally, Rabbi Shimon Levi is saying ten, and we want to know maybe it's lav and really you might have to pay even more than ten. So someone who sold a large animal, we penalize up to 100. Here, everything is different in the second lesson. Here, the animal is 100 and the slave was 10. We want to know maybe just like the animal is 100, so too it's a proof that the slave would be 100. And we said 10, it was imprecise. Says the Gemara, no, maybe it's worse. Shiny evidence. By the by the evid, it might be more lenient. Why? The low hutter bait. You're not going to go back to his possession. Meaning, by the slave, what's going to happen? You have to free him when, he, when you redeem him. It's just a penalty to get him back 
and then you have to free him. So here, we're not going to kenaz you 100 times. 10 times suffices. Whereas by the animal that you sold, there's no din you have to free the animal. Once you buy it back, you could work it again. So therefore, the penalty, we could, we're, we're more comfortable giving a higher fine and saying you have to pay up to 100. That's the point. Since by the evidence, it's not going back to you, therefore, it's going to be more lenient. But the Gemara says that's a decent svara, but it doesn't explain for such a huge discrepancy. What are you saying? The reason for the animal that you have to pay more than 10, because it's coming back to him. But look, and say then just paying 11 times the value would have been fine. In other words, if, if the etzim I see a is good for 10, you're just saying that the fact that the animal is going to go back to you means you have to pay back more, so then the penalty shouldn't increase to 100, the penalty should increase to 11 times. You should pay one extra time. In other words, the knas shaboy should be 10, and the fact that there's an add some price. Okay, so factor in 11 times. But it doesn't explain for the fact or why jumping from 100 to, from 10 to 100. So the fact that by the animal it's 100 would seem to indicate that by the slave also it should be 100. So like tomorrow, no, a different shot. The case of the slave to a guy is uncommon. That usually doesn't happen. Therefore, maybe the Rabbanon didn't go there. So I, the Rabbanon weren't as strict by things that don't happen as much. Selling animals happens so much uh, and therefore, it was more common, so we have to put a harder line on it. Something that happens more, you got to put a harder line on it. So bottom line, where, where are we? There definitely is a penalty that you have to buy back the slave in addition to freeing him. To what extent do you have to buy him back? Is it 10? Is it 100? We don't know. We kind of left in the Gemara in open. And the same thing is true in regard to the Isra selling a Bema Gasa to a, to a guy. You have to, can ask to buy him back? What exactly is it? Is it 10 or 100 different views? Says the Gemara, new question. Someone sold the slave and then he died. So we learned that if it would be the father, he'd have to buy the slave back. Did the rabbis penalize the surviving son? The son survived his father, is, is, is inheriting the father's estate. So maybe you say that the penalty then passes on to the son, even though the son did nothing wrong. The father sold the slave, not the son. But the kenas was imposed on the father's property. And therefore we can say that the slave has to be redeemed by the children. So Imtim Salomar, we draw some parallel to other cases in Shas. The halacha is, you're not, just to understand a little bit, a carbon bachar, a little introduction. A carbon bachar, what's a bachar? You have a firstborn animal, you bring it as a carbon, and you give the pieces of the carbon to the Kohen. Now, the Kohanim don't like that. They'd much prefer if the bachar has a mum. Why? Because then they get the whole animal, and they can just make a barbecue for it in their backyard. So for a Kohen, they'd actually rather prefer bachar that's a baal than a bachar that is a karma. So therefore, they used to in, in go ahead and intentionally inflict mumim in the vacharim to make sure that they got it. So the rabbis made big penalties if you do that. If you go and you do that, it's forbidden midaraisa to make a mum in a, in a karban. So the rabbis made a penalty that then, uh, that then they can't have it at all. So what's the halacha? The, the, the case of a Kohen. He nicked the ear of the firstborn animal and he died. There, the Rabbanon did kenas the surviving son. They did continue and he's penalized on it, and he's not allowed to benefit from it. So I could say, but that's only over there, Surah There, the Isra that was transgressed, making a mum in a Bukhar is an Isra that's from the Torah. Here, selling a slave to a guy is only an Isra Darabana. Since it's only an Isra Darabana, maybe the rabbis were more mimical, they didn't penalize the son. I'll give you a different parallel. Someone scheduled his work for Cholamoy. So really, if you start your work, and it's in the middle, and if you don't continue, then it's going to go to loss, then you're allowed to continue working on that thing on Cholamoy. But if someone should not intentionally schedule the thing to then come out of Cholamoy. So, so if someone went ahead and did that, Chazal made a knas, and they say he can't work, and his stuff goes to loss, 
So even though Meikar Adin is mutter, but you did it now within the spirit of the law, so there the halacha is low cuts menachah. The rabbis did not penalize the surviving son. The son, if the if the father intentionally scheduled the work for Cholamoid and then he died, the son is not penalized. So maybe you'll say so to here. I'll explain over there. Mishur There the father didn't really do a real iser. It's it's not within the spirit of the law. At the end of the day, he didn't go ahead and work on Cholamoid yet. Right? In other words, he scheduled it. He did the wrong thing. But if he would go then and work on Cholamoid based upon his nature, we could say. But here, the Ovardis, he didn't do it. Chazal would have made the penalty that he can't, but he, he ended up dying. He didn't really do it in the Isser. So that's why the penalty doesn't go to the son. But Alcha, in the case where the father was over and the Isser dropped on him when he sold the slave, maybe, maybe it goes to the son as well. And the Gemara speaks out the lumness of the question. How is the penalty worked? Lady day comes Is it a gavr to kedin that the penalty is on the person? The seller is no longer here. There's no kenas. The kenas is imposed on the on the assets of the of the father of the seller. It's on the money. the money is still around. So obviously the money didn't do anything wrong, but it means the gather was that they pay, place some sort of rabbinic lien on the property. So the gemara says, "Amalei Rav Asi Zetrevim Ritani Tuv." We arrive from the Mishnah. Mishnah here in Shvias. Mishnah says, saw this just of Shvias. If a field was cleared from all of its thorns during Shvias. So that's an Isra Midrabana. There's different things you can't do. The Torah says, So really, it's only planting, um, uh, plowing, uh, cutting. There are different things that are also during Shemitah. But one of them is not clearing your field of thorns. But Lamaisa, it will help the growth. So it's also. It's also medrabanan to do that during the shemitah. So what's the halacha? Tishlo you could be, you could you could plant after shemitah is over. Notice they didn't penalize the field's owner here in asrim from planting. Lamaisa, it was only nisa drabanan here, so they were mekel. Sometimes the rabbanon are mekel; they don't make a knas. However, in Taiwan if it was fertilized directly by the farmer or by animals that he put there, and Rashi learns that that's an iser daraisa, it's tantamount to plowing. Rashi shita is that putting down fertilizer is is tantamount to plowing. The tremendous chiddush taisus disagrees. That's Rashi shita. So there, since it's more chamer, the rabbanon made a penalty. It cannot be planted after shvias. And others, they made a knas. They said, since you were on this is the rice by preparing the ground for planting, during, for, 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 for planting by plowing it during the shemitah, therefore you can't plow, you can't plant in the eighth year. Fine, very good. said on that mishnah, we have a tradition. If he fertilized the field and then he died, the son is allowed to plant the field after shviyas. What's the pshad? The penalty is only on him, not on the son. So therefore, presumably, we're able to have a proof here as well that we say the same. And over there, it's even an issue that Raisa Rashi points out. And still, we don't get the Kenas the son. So, so too here, we do, cannot, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to Kenas the son. All right, now, obviously, what's, what's left with the problem a little bit? So, why Babachar do it? Right, so that's a little bit left in the open. So that's not for us, a little bit beyond us, but it's kind of just putting all the cases together here. It's a little bit, a little bit confusing. We had the case of Bechar, where it's an Isidar and they were Kenas the son. In the case of Kivan Balaz and Mamoid, where it's a Darabana, and they didn't Kenas the son. We want to know what's the halacha by someone who sold his slave. Does the, does the penalty go to the son? And ultimately, we're proving it from the case where someone uh, uh, um, fertilized his field during Shemitah, where we're coming out, they did not kenas the son. Says the Gemara Rabbi Nitin in another, another tradition regarding these sort of matters. If somebody was metame, the tar produce of his friend, and then he died. So that's like the worst kind of Jew, right? Because you're inflicting damage, but that's not noticeable. It's a spiritual damage. You're being metame, someone else's taharas. So it's certainly loss of money. But technically, you're off the hook. Why? Because it's, 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 it, you can't see it in a physical sense. So in the regular properties of Baba Kama, you're a potter. Remember, the Rabbana, they made a kenasa. They said, you have to pay for Hezek, Shein, or Nikar. So what's the halacha if the father died? If the father did regular Hezek, 
and he leaves money, the children have to pay. But here, what type of hezek did the father do? Hezek she'en nicker. So how does that impact the son? Low consequent akhra. But the penalty does not go to the son. My time, my hezek she'en letter of the law is not considered genuine damage. You can also rub on it, it's only a penalty. The penalty is only on, on, on the one who did it. The knas is not on the son. Says the Gemara, Ola Chutz Laaretz. We learned if the master sold the slave to someone who lives outside of Eretz Yisrael, the slave has to be free. If the master sold the slave to someone who lives outside of Eretz Yisrael, he goes free with Torah Ketchik, or he requires a Getchik. So in other words, what we're saying is don't think the Knas freed him, right? In other words, the Knas says he must be freed. But Lamaise, he requires a Getchik in order for him to matter him, in order to matter him to marry a regular Jewish girl. Who does it come from? Rabashini, from the second master, right? So it's, it's an interesting point that we're going to talk about why the penalty really is more on the purchaser than the seller. We're going to talk all about this more, a little bit more tomorrow. But Al-Kopanim, the get or is given from the second one. Only sometimes he goes out to freedom when he's sold to Echot Sometimes the slave is not going to freedom. It depends whether the person really, the seller was really aware that he was going to go to Echot because a lot of times people have homes in Israel and homes outside of Israel. So you don't really know where they live. So how do you know what the, where he's going to take the slave? So it depends. Amar, Amar, if, said, if it's said in the deed of the sale. Ploni, Avdi, so-and-so, my slave. Makartilo, Ploni, Antuchi. I sold him to so-and-so, the Antuchi. Antuchi is outside of Eretz Yisrael. Lo, Yatsa, he doesn't go free. Because just because he's called Antuchi, it means that's where he's from. The buyer's from Antuchi. But it doesn't necessarily... Uh, imply that that's where he is now and that the slave is going to be taken to, to, uh, to the place of Antuach, which is outside of Eretz Yisrael. You're just saying that the person was from Antuach. So then the slave doesn't go out to freedom. We're not going to make a penalty because it's not clear that the, um, it's not clear that the intention was that the guy should remain outside of Israel. However, if the seller said in the deed, I'm selling him to the Antuchni who is in Tuach, then he goes free because then it's super clear that the intent of the sale was for him to remain outside of Israel. So tomorrow, it says in a price is different. It says, If I sold it to Antochni, he does go free. If you say to Antochni, who lives in Lod, which is in Eretz Yisrael, he doesn't go free. So according to the second price, according to the price, Antochni implies he's currently in Antochni. The only case he wouldn't go free is if you said to Antochni, who's currently in Israel. So the Gemara explains, it's not a question. How did they say to Israel? The Allah of Shem Gamliel was talking about Antochni, who owns land in Israel. So therefore, we don't, perno, we don't, there's no penalty unless the deed said specifically that he lives in Intuach. Whereas the second bride says, talking about we only has a temporary living place in Israel. So therefore, we, we, the, the time of that bride is going to penalize the, the, the purchaser to free him, even if it didn't say that, unless it said specifically he lived in Israel. So basically, what are we coming out? There's a penalty upon the guy who buys that he has to free the slave. When, when it's a sale that's for outside of Israel. But what's for a sale outside of, outside of Israel? Certainly if it says for the Antuchim, who lives in Antuchim, certainly that's clear the intent is for it to be outside of Israel, not to be returned here. But what if it's a scenario where the guy's got multiple homes? So if it just said, if he has a, a permanent home in Israel as well, and it just says Antuchim, he doesn't go free. If he only has temporary living, um, uh, in, 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 if, in, if he, he only has a temporary living place in Israel, so then we say, by selling the Antuchni, he will go free in the face. However, even with a temporary place in Israel, if I say the Antuchni who is living in law, then it will not go free. Says the Gemara, by Rabbi Yirmiyah. So what's the halacha? Just a little introduction. When a wife comes into the marriage, she brings property which the husband is called Nisli Tzon Power. So the husband assumes the husband assumes responsibility for it. He gives it back at the end of the marriage, but he's allowed to use it during the marriage. So by Rabbi Yirmiyah, Ben Bavos Shnasi Babylonian man is marrying a woman in Israel. She brings in to the dowry slaves and maidservants who died to last. But the intent is that they're going to go back to Bavos. 
So Mao, what's the halacha? In other words, when she's marrying this Babylonian guy, she's basically selling her slaves to a foreign purchaser. That's basically what's happening. Because even though they're gonna to be together, but he's gonna become the owner of it to a certain degree. So it's like a sale, and he's going to outside of Israel. So maybe there's a knas, and now the husband has to free them. There's a dispute if after the marriage, she wants them back, and he wants to keep them and just give her cash. Who wins? What's the halacha with Nitzit's own barzo? Whose are they really? That's really fundamental to the question. Are they really his or really hers? He accepts responsibility for them, but he could use them. So is it the pshat at the end of the marriage, you just owes her money? Or no, he owes her the thing itself. So it's a machlokas. So you could clear within the opinion that the din is with her, that she get back her things. Or you could clear within the opinion that the din is with him, that he could just give back money. The law is with her. So it's really remaining hers. Right? Even though it's in the diary, he's using it. Essentially, it's her thing, so it's not a sale. So therefore, they don't go free. Here's a lean on it for the husband to utilize it and take produce from it. It's really kind of considered like his possessions, and therefore, it would be a knas. Or we could wonder according to the opinion that the law is with the man and he could keep it. Since the law is that it's kept with him, giving over the dowry is considered like selling and it's going to his property. He doesn't own for the dowry itself, right? It's only a responsibility. And um, he's responsible for any loss that happens to it. It's not like a regular sense of ownership. It's still considered the woman's property. So the Gemara says, take it. We don't resolve the question whether or not the slaves would go free in that case. Continues the Gemara. Let's say he's leaving Israel, and we assume Syria is outside of Israel for the purposes of this conversation. The master left Israel, and the, and the slave willingly went. The master sold him there. He still goes out for freedom. So basically, we're saying Syria is outside of Eretz Israel, and even though the master left and the slave followed him, there's still a knas. Says the what are you talking about? He willfully departs Eretz Yisrael, then there's no right for the slave to be free. The whole right is when it's kind of against the slave's, the slave's das. But here he willfully fouls his master outside of Israel, then he can't cry when he's sold outside of Israel. Says the Gemara Lokasha, Kansha das Rabalas, speaking where the master was planning on returning to Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, so therefore, when he sells him to, a, to, to someone who lives in Syria, it's like he's selling him from Eretz Yisrael to a foreign country. Even though it was technically made in Syria, and the, and the master went there and the slave willfully followed him, but it's just like a vacation in Syria, right? It's, not, there's no, it's meaningless, oh, we were outside, we were in Syria. It was like a vacation there. The master was planning on going back. So when the master then goes and sells him to a Syrian guy, then, then we, 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 we will make the knas and the slave will go free. Khan, Rabbi was talking, Shein died to her house, so the, mas, the, the master was like moving to Syria. And therefore the, the slave willfully follows and leaves Israel, so there the halach is, the slave will not go free if he is sold there. And the Gemara supports this Fatanius, like it says in the Bible, Yosef Abedach Rabba, the Surya, a slave, um, leaves Eretz Yisrael, follows his master to Surya. So before we even get to the end, it sounds like it's saying he has to. If a master moves from Israel to Surya, the slave must leave. Mars says that's not true. Yotze, he has no alternative but to but to but to depart. But to the Mishnah says, You can't when you make when you make Yerida and you leave Israel, no other member of your household is forced to follow you. Interesting idea. So therefore, what do I see? The slave doesn't have to go along. So why does it say he leaves? Ella, what it's saying is if he left, he also have a father of Surya. If he did follow his master's story, and the master sold him, then it depends what the intention of the master was. In Das, Rabbi Lassar had the master intended to return to Israel. Kofano sold him, forced the purchaser to free the slave because the Kanas was in play. We don't say, hey, well, what were you doing in Syria? I was just on vacation there. In Das, Rabbi Lassar, the master's intent was not to return in Kofano. So then we do not force the purchaser to free the slave. Says the Gemara. We've been learning that the slave is sold to the purchaser outside Israel. The slave has to be freed. 
So now we're trying to figure out who frees him. So Amr Avanan, Shabbos means Marshmallow Tarot. There are two things from Marshmallow. I learned about this halacha before that when the slave is sold to a place outside Israel, it has to be freed. Something else, the Itmar, What happens if you sell your field during Yovel itself? Meaning we know property reverts back to the proper owner, previous owner in Yovel. Right? That's halacha. The property goes back. What if you try to sell in Yovel itself? What happens? To Rav Amar Makur Yotza, it's sold, it's a sale, and then it immediately reverts back. Being Yovel makes it revert back. So the sale goes through, it's a Mechir, but then it goes back. You're going to say, my Nafkamina. The Nafkamina is a Kenyan Agaf, right? If you try to make a Kenyan with a Mechira of a Metalatlan, it, it, it could work. So it's a valid sale in the sense that if you tried to sell Metalatlan along with it, it would work. It's sold, and then it just returns. The field is not sold at all. In other words, it's like, it's like a cancellation. Of, 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 of sale. It's a steer to a sale. It's different during the year. Shemitah, if you try to sell, it's not sold at all. So now Ramadan continues. I heard about one case is, one of the cases, the price has to be returned to the purchaser. I heard another thing that the price does not have to be returned. In other words, we have two cases, selling the slave to, a, to, to someone who lives outside of Israel and selling during Yova. So in one case, I heard the money goes back. Right? In one case, I heard it doesn't go back. I don't know which one. I'm not sure when the refund exists. In other words, you can kind of hear that in the case of when the sale sold during Yovel, that it was never sold and the money should go back. Or you could say, no, maybe it doesn't go back. Maybe it's like, you know, like you know it's not being sold, so it's just like a gift. And here, the guy who's purchasing the slave has to free it right away. So maybe you could say the same thing. Maybe it's not really a sale and the money has to be returned. Or maybe, no, it is a sale. And then there's just a knas that he has to free him. So which one is it? It says that he goes free. And who has to free him? The second master. So clearly he becomes a master. And now the knas is he has to free him. The second master is acquiring him. It must be the, 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 the sale price is not going back. Because the, he remains a master. He remains a master and the kanas is on the purchaser. We'll learn tomorrow why the kanas is on the purchaser more than the seller. But that lamais is what we see. It's a valid sale, just now the second master has to free him. This that Shmuel said in the case of Yovel is not sold. Over there must be most closer in. The money goes back. Now the Gemara is the obvious question. Why didn't Ravanan know this? Ravanan He didn't know the Brisa. That's why he had the suffix. Even the Shmuel and this that he that Shmuel said it was not sold, he couldn't, t- during Yovel, that itself wasn't conclusive. My It doesn't necessarily mean it's not sold and the money is returned. Maybe it just means the, the field is not sold, but the money is intended as a gift and is not returned. Just like Shmuel said, if someone is Makadish, his sister, he gave her Kedushin. So obviously it's not Chal. So what happens to the money? The money goes back. It's a gift. Meaning we assume a person knows he can't be Makadish's sister. Therefore the money is a gift. So you, from just hearing Shmuel's halacha here, that if I sell during Yovel, it's not sold, you could say the same thing. And maybe the money, what's with the money? Maybe it's a gift. So from hearing from Shmuel's statement, you don't know. Maybe the purchaser, maybe the seller could keep the money. That's only because of the price so that we know it. So in conclusion, in the case of Yovel, the money does go back. In the case of when I sell the slaves to someone who lives outside of Israel, it is a sale and the, it, the money does not go back. And now the second person, the purchaser, is Knaas that he has to free the slave.